0: Father, we thank You that You have brought us together this morning. As few in number as we are this morning, we're glad to be together as a church, Uh, glad to worship You. We look forward to having more come in as we prepare for our service and as we prepare to lift up our voices and sing and as we prepare to hear the Word and as we prepare to take the sacraments and to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, that is what we long to do. And so we thank You that You have loved us, that You have saved us, that You have redeemed us and that You have purchased us to make us a people for Yourself. We long to find our joy and our delight in the Lord Jesus. We know that joy in anything else is a fleeting joy. Joy in the world doesn't last. Joy in pleasure, joy in entertainment, joy in health and youth, none of those things last. But if our joy is in the immutable and unchangeable Christ, that joy will last forever. And so that's where we want to find our joy and delight this morning in You and in Your Word. And so as we study Your Word this morning, as we consider the spiritual disciplines this morning, the various means by which we may grow as Christians, we pray that You would help us to do so with sanctified and illuminated minds for Your glory. Amen. All right, we come this morning. I feel like all of my congregation is over this way with a few (laughs) sprinkled in here. I'll have to try to... To sure balance out the look. So this morning we're coming in our study of the spiritual disciplines to the topic of Christian learning. Christian learning that helps a lot. There we go. Then <laughs> we got some balance in here. Christian learning. Uh, so so far we've studied five spiritual disciplines. This morning is going to be the sixth and final spiritual discipline. And Lord willing, we'll finish this lesson up this morning. That's usually my way of saying there's no way possible, but we'll try. So this is the sixth discipline. <clears throat> and so far we've considered five Bible intake. Prayer, worship, evangelism, discipleship, and now we come to the topic of what I'm calling Christian learning. Christian learning. Uh, and there's two things I want to do this morning uh, as we consider this topic. Number one, I want to consider the biblical foundation for Christian learning, and then secondly, provide you with some practical suggestions for Christian learning. Uh, so let's start with number one, the biblical foundation for Christian learning. And let me ask you this, why should we be concerned with learning as Christians? Why can't we just say, you know what, I'm in the kingdom, I'm saved by grace through faith, that's enough for me, I'm just going to live life, be kind of lazy spiritually, enjoy entertainment, and just get to heaven. Why is it so important for us to learn as Christians? I know my note takers aren't here this morning. Great commission, how can you help people if you don't know what you're talking about? I have that in my notes, very good. You can't help people if you don't know truth, right? You can't fulfill the great commission, you can't serve the Lord effectively, you can't help other people if you aren't learning the Christian gospel and message. Very good. What else? Why is it important for us to be always learning as Christians? There's a Bible verse about that, by the way, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We're not talking about that kind of learning. We're talking about learning that does bring you to a knowledge of the truth, right? So why is it important for Christians to learn? To be able to face temptations. Okay. It helps us overcome temptation? To live, to live like Christ. Live like Christ. So not only to help others, but to help ourselves. Live like Jesus, overcome sin, and so forth. Okay. What else? What are some other good reasons that we should seek to learn as Christians? I always say it's a living word, so you can read the same verse four times and it means four different things. Amen. You never finish learning. That's why you need to always learn, right? The Bible is an infinite book of infinite truth about an infinite God, and there's no way a finite human being can ever exhaust the riches of divine revelation. Very good. Okay, what else? What are some reasons for us to always be learning as Christians? So we need to help others. We need to help ourselves overcome sin. We need to grow in our knowledge because we never exhaust that knowledge. What else? Any other reasons you can think of? I'm trying to make me do all the heavy lifting today? I know, we're just putting it all on Joe this morning. I think he's done covered all my notes. We can almost go home now. <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> we got some donuts back there. If you don't get them before the service is over, you usually don't get them. <laughs> you got anything, Joey? All right, let me give you five reasons, even though you've covered about four and a half of them. Uh, Number one, uh, because it is a means by which we grow as Christians, right? There is no growth without the using of our minds, right? You do not grow. Sanctification does not happen automatically. It's not some sort of a mystical experience where we're zapped from heaven and we grow. Growth and sanctification involves our labor in the disciplines that God has given us. It involves reading, studying, thinking, contemplating, and learning. 2 Peter 3.18 says, in fact, it's not just, it doesn't just say, it actually commands us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So if we're going to grow in grace, we have to grow in knowledge. If we're going to grow in sanctifying grace, we have to grow in knowledge. Here's a second reason. So first of all, because it is a means by which we grow in Christ. But secondly, because it is a means by which we are equipped to serve the Lord and others, which is what Joe mentioned a minute ago. It is a means by which we are equipped to serve the Lord and others. Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We looked at this passage a few weeks ago. We'll look at it again this morning. Very important passage when it comes to the life of the local church. Ephesians chapter 4. How are you guys this morning? Ephesians 4. Ian outdressed me. man. That's a good looking tie. I've got to get me one of those. tie just like that. Eh, something like that. Ephesians four, and I want to start reading in verse. I want to go to verse, uh, verse eleven. Verse eleven. Paul's talking about Christ, how he descended into the grave, he ascended to heaven, and in doing so, he has authority to give spiritual gifts to men. And not only does he give spiritual gifts to the church, to believers in general, but he gives gifted men to the church in particular who lead the church to maturity. Verse 11, and he, that is Christ, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Uh, These would be the leaders of the church. I would argue that apostles and prophets are no more. We have evangelists and teaching pastors now. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So does God give the leaders of the church to do all the ministry? No, he gives the leaders of the church to equip the whole church to do the work of the ministry, right? And this is, at the end of verse 12, to the building up of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is built up when each and every member is growing and using their gifts and doing their part. Verse 13, this happens until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. Do We become mature by growing in the knowledge of the Son of God to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, as a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. It's a very uh, interesting way that John defines spiritual growth. When we come to 1 John 2 in a few weeks, verses verses 12 to 14, John lays out uh, the categories of spiritual growth. There are only three categories. There are children, young men, and fathers to John. Everyone in the faith is either a child in the faith, a young man in the faith, or a, or a father in the faith. That would even include women. Women fall into that category. So we would probably use feminine uh, words there. So children, young women, mothers. Okay, So that's kind of the levels of spiritual maturity. And so children would obviously be the lowest on the totem pole. They're the most immature, new babes in Christ, and even some people have been in Christ for a while and they still remain children. But notice what characterizes a child. He says that we're no longer to be children, immature in the faith, tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. So what is it that characterizes an immature child in the faith? What does he toss back and forth? Uncertainty. Uncertainty in terms of the truth, right? He's he or she is not very doctrinally sound. They're just all over the place. I mean, every, every time they hear someone else talk about doctrine, they're like, oh yeah, that sounds good. Oh no, that sounds right. They, they just don't know for themselves. They're not theologically uh, centered on the truth. But to become mature then implies that we actually have a solid grasp of the truth so that we can, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head even Christ. So if we're going to grow as a church, each of us need to seek to grow in our understanding of the Word of God, our knowledge of the Son of God, so that we can become mature men, speak the truth in love, and by doing that, the whole body grows. That's the process. And none of that can happen unless we're growing in knowledge and learning. So that's the second reason then for us to learn, because it is a means by which we are equipped to serve others and the Lord. But a third reason, this is a reason that I think is so obvious we didn't mention this, because it just, it's obvious, right? Number three is because we are commanded to learn in Scripture. We are commanded to learn in Scripture. This isn't just an option. This is a command from God. Let me read a few passages for you in which the Scripture commands us to learn. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 14 says, Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. So what do wise people do according to this proverb? They learn, right? They store up knowledge. They read. They study. And we don't live in a culture where people really want to learn, do we? They don't want to learn at all, right? We send them to public schools. They just kind of feel like me. You skip school. You don't listen. You don't do your work. Come home. You don't want to do your homework. You want to watch TV and entertainment and all that stuff. And there's nothing inherently wrong with entertainment. We like entertainment. I like entertainment. But we can't be nothing but uh, couch potatoes that are entertained. We've got to learn. We've got to use our minds, our Our redeemed minds. And so, if a wise person stores up knowledge, what is a person if he doesn't store up knowledge? A fool. A fool. fool. And then guess what happens? Ruin is at hand when the mouth of the foolish speaks, because he just speaks utter nonsense that helps no one and only destroys. Proverbs 18.15 says this, The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Very, very... Clear. If you're wise, if you're a smart person, you're going to seek to learn the truth. You're going to seek to grow in and acquire more knowledge. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if you want to avoid being like the world, what do you need to do? Be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind in the Word of God, right? You've got to use your mind, fill your mind with the truth, and that is what causes you to be transformed. And then he says, then you'll prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. I'm sure all of us in here have heard people say things like this. What is God's will for my life? What What is God's will for my life in terms of the job He wants me to work, the spouse He wants me to marry? What's God's will for my life? And they act like God's will is kind of hidden. and He's like trying to make us run around and look for it frantically because we can't find it. God's just trying to keep it hidden. Is that true though? Is the will of God hidden from us? No. Where is it revealed at? The Bible, right? If you read the Bible, you'll know the will of God. You'll know the will of God. So learning is a part of our knowing God's will and growing in obedience. Because you can't do the will of God unless you what? Know the will of God. Learn the will of God. That's where it starts. That's why Ephesians 5 says this. Ephesians 5 verse 17. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So you have two options, okay? You can be foolish, or you can do what? Know and learn the will of God. Which implies that if you aren't learning, knowing, and doing the will of God, you're living like a fool living like a fool those who are wise seek to learn the word of God so that's the third reason we should learn we should learn because we're commanded by God to do so in scripture let me give you a fourth reason this is kind of an extension of the third reason the fourth reason is because of the greatest commandment the greatest commandment what is the greatest commandment according to Jesus you shall love, you God. love the Lord your God with all your what heart soul and mind mind right Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and your mind. And if we're going to obey that commandment, if we're going to love God with our minds, then we have to use our minds to learn about Him, to learn about His glory, learn about His purposes, learn about His will, so that we can then put those things into practice. So we have to love God with our mind. But there is a fifth reason we should learn. One more I want to give you. And that is because of the example... Of our Lord. The example of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is God, right? Okay? Jesus is... What, what is one of the attributes of God? Omniscience. Omniscience. So Jesus as God knows everything there is to know at every moment. He doesn't learn as God. But as man, did Jesus learn? Mm-hmm. Jesus learned as a man. Listen to what Luke chapter 2 verse 52 says. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is speaking of the young Jesus growing up. So Jesus kept increasing in wisdom. How do you think He increased in wisdom? Because He's just God and it just kind of grew on? Because He read the Bible and He, um, he learned He'd from learn. other people teaching Him. So He learned. Jesus was a learner of the truth. It's amazing to think about that, isn't it? Uh, there's actually a, a seminary class I took, and uh, the prim- one of the premises that uh, the professor uh, mentioned is that Jesus learned hermeneutics. Jesus learned how to study His Bible. Jesus learned how to interpret His Bible. Jesus learned biblical truth. It's amazing to think that God in human flesh, as a human being, learned. And He becomes our example. If Jesus, the God-man, needed to learn, then how much more we finite sinners? We desperately need to learn. So those are five reasons. Can you think of any other reasons before we move on? Joe's, I mentioned about eighty over there. Carol's brought about ten or fifteen or thirty. What else? Second Timothy 2, two fifteen. Yeah. What What does that say? Be an approved workman. Amen. That's another part of the command. Amen. So we need to. We're commanded by God to work hard and be an approved workman, right? Accurately handling the Word. Amen. Amen. Not ashamed. Accurately handling the Word. And for us to accurately handle the Word, we've got to work hard and learn. We've got to learn. All right, let's move on now, secondly, to some practical suggestions for Christian learning. We'll finish our time up by looking at these. Uh, Before I even provide you with any, what are some ways you can think of? What are some practical ways we can go about learning the truth? Very good. So, so, obviously, it starts with reading the Bible. We, we've already had five weeks on that uh, in our first Sunday school class on, on this spiritual discipline series, Bible Intake. It starts there. Charles Spurgeon said, read many books or visit many books, but live in the Bible, right? Live in the Bible. The Bible is the book we read every day. We saturate our minds in it for the whole of our lives, right? But books are important. Uh, commentaries are important. So there's several ways to do that. What else? What are some other ways to learn? Bible books. Ask questions. What else? Can you think of other ways to learn as a Christian? Watch people like learn. Like if you were preaching, learn. Watch you how you do it, Amen. and imitate what you do, and then there you go so watch the, you can learn by watching God's people and then just imitating them you learn by way of example that's a great way to learn because now you're seeing the truth lived out in flesh and blood Right? it's not just theoretical principles but you have practical examples if you're like me that's very helpful uh, going to build a, a building without a, a blueprint is a lot harder uh, for, for me putting a model car together was impossible when I was a kid but it definitely wouldn't happen if I didn't have the instructions right and so it's a lot easier to put the truth into practice when you have a model before you. Very good. What are some other ways we can go about learning the truth as Christians? Any other ways you can think of? Reading some of the other religions to understand them and see where they're wrong. That's a good point. Now, I do think. The best way to determine truth from error is to know the truth, but it helps to study the error in light of the truth so that you can expose it, right? So then when you do, Joe was mentioning the other day about this guy who's a good apologist to Muslims. You listen to him, refute the errors of Islam, and you learn about what they teach. Then when you talk to a Muslim, you already know what he believes. And it helps when you, and if you can do that with Mormons, by the way, and you know what they believe more than they know what they believe, and then they're really in trouble. <laughs> so that's a very good point. Learn uh, what the false teachers and cults are teaching. It's good. Any other thoughts? How can we go about learning? Prayer. Prayer. That's a very good one. Because I mean we can pray and then hopefully have the Spirit will help us with how to practically use what we're reading in the Bible Amen. every day. Purposes. Amen. Who are we dependent upon to learn? Jesus. The Holy Spirit. God, right? We can't learn without the Spirit of God illumining, illumining our minds, cutting the light on so we can see the truth. So we need God to open our minds. And of course, it starts with being converted. If you're not a believer, you can't savingly understand the truth. But even as a believer who has the Spirit, if the Spirit of God doesn't open your mind, you can't understand the truth. So we need to read prayerfully. It's Good. Any other thoughts on how to practically go about learning? I've got a few. All right, let me give you, I think I've got like five, four or five tips here, maybe six. Number one, read books. We're just going to assume that you understand the Bible is central. You obviously need to read and study your Bible, and you need to read and study your Bible so much more than the other books you study that if you don't have time to barely read the Bible, you are to read books. I don't think anyone really has a life like that. I think everyone could make time to read. But read the Bible. The Bible is central. But read books. Read books. The Apostle Paul was a reader, by the way. Uh, That's clear in the fact that he would quote poets, and he would quote uh, uh, he would quote uh, he quoted a poet in Acts 17. He quoted a prophet of Crete in the book of Titus. So he clearly was a wide reader, but uh, he also read we would imagine commentaries on the Bible, the Old Testament. He read, and in 2 Timothy 4:13 we read this statement: Paul is in prison; he's about to die. Uh, and he's, he's lonely in a cold prison cell. Forgot his cloak, so he's cold. And there's a few things that Paul wants Timothy to pick up and bring to him. And listen to what he said. When you come, bring the cloak. Okay, I'm cold, that's important. Which I left at Troas with Carpus. And the books, especially the parchment. So there's really two things that Paul wants as he's freezing in this prison. He wants a coat to wear. And he wants books to read and write in. So Paul, even at the very end of his life, was a reader, a writer, and a learner. Uh, Spurgeon said this. Spurgeon said, give yourself unto reading. The man who never reads will never be read. He who never quotes will never be quoted. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. I love that quote. And then he says, you need to read. You need to read. So if we want to prove that we have brains, we need to read the thoughts of others. Now someone might say, we hear objections like this often, that I don't need to read other men's books, I don't need to read commentaries, I have the Bible, that's all I need. All I need is the Word of God. How could we respond to that? If someone said, I don't need to read books, in fact, I shouldn't read books, I should just read the Bible, how would you respond? There are wolves in sheep's clothing, okay? So we can, can twist the bite. They can manipulate the Word to make you believe something that's not real. That's right. So there's, And none of us come to the Word of God without any baggage, right? None of us come to the Word of God completely neutral. So some of us have maybe been influenced by false teachers or twisted the Word. We need to make sure that we are coming with the right... At the end of the day, no one comes to the Scripture without presuppositions. We need to come with the right presuppositions. And one way we do that is by avoiding false teachers and learning from good teachers, right? What's another way to respond? Someone says, "I don't need books; just read my Bible. I'm fine." Is there a biblical argument for for reading well, books? Huh? They, first of all, Bible is the most important thing, and then the books help you understand the Bible, which then can help you go out and evangelize. So it helps you understand, right? Ephesians four. Remember, Paul says that Christ has given some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers to the church. So God gives gifted people to the church to teach them. And though that obviously happens in the local church and through the pulpit and in Bible studies, it also happens through books. We are—I mean, we can take books written from hundreds of years ago. Men like Calvin and John Gill and Matthew Henry, Charles Spurgeon, and we can learn from these gifted men of God in a way that we couldn't learn if they hadn't recorded their thoughts in books, right? So we can learn from books. God's given these men to the church. You also can't approach somebody else without having some idea of what they may believe. There you go, that's true. So you want to have an idea of what they believe, there you go. And so we, we have to have this, these various ideas that we're learning and we're dealing with. The Scripture is always the ultimate determiner of truth. But books help us give, give us the right categories of thought. It helps expose our erroneous presuppositions and thinking. It helps put us on the right track. It helps bring clarity on the Word. And God gives these men to the church. All right, let me give you some tips for reading. Some tips for reading. Number one, you've got to make time. You've got to make time to read. You can't just hope you get time because we understand we're busy people. We don't just get time. Time doesn't just fall in your lap. And usually when it does, if we don't plan it specifically, we just blow it like you're like me, right? So we have to make time, make time. I like to block out every hour of my schedule. I can do that as a pastor. I have more time, I guess. But even if I was working a full-time job, I would, here's my eight hours of work. Okay, here's what I'm doing when I get home. I like to, not everyone does that. I like to do that. It keeps me from wasting my time, and it helps me know what I'm supposed to do when I'm supposed to do it. So make time to read, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe it's 30 minutes in the evening, maybe it's 25 minutes in the morning, maybe it's, uh, don't don't read on the way to work unless it's audio, right, because then you might have a wreck, or unless you're taking an Uber. Uh, So read, just find time to read, make time to read. Number two, read with your family. Read with your family. Uh, Obviously, I encourage you to do family worship, but maybe you'll read a book together, maybe you'll read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress together. Maybe you'll read some Christian theology book together. And if you're reading once a week or three times a week with your family, then you'll be making yourself read. Because one of the problems we have, if you're like me, is you're already so busy and you get such limited time with your family that you don't want to just go upstairs in your study and read and blow the time you have with your family. So one way to fix that is to read with your family and so you get both reading and family time together. What do families do in our culture most of the time when, they, when they're together? If they're together. You guys have such a big family. You're probably in a million places at once. <laughs> but TV. A lot of times it's TV, right? And I love watching TV. I love spending time with my family watching television. But we also you need to do family worship. You need to read. Do things that are beneficial for your family. So read with your family. Number three, read with other Christians. Read with other Christians. And hopefully your family is Christian. But I'm talking about outside of the family. Uh, I've talked about a discipleship group in the past. Maybe you'll have a group of three or four of you. You'll pick a book to read together. And then, you know you've got to meet on Saturday and talk about this book with other women or men. You're probably going to be encouraged to read the book. right? So that's a motivation and some accountability to make you read. Another tip is read in spare moments. Read in spare moments. What do we do? When we're at the doctor's office waiting on the doctor, what do we do? What's our natural tendency in the 21st century? Huh? Facebook, right? I well, like that, share that. That's what we do. I mean, everybody, just about everybody. So, how, how can we redeem that time? What can we do while we're sitting at the doctor's office waiting on the doctor? A book. Bring a book, right? Nobody does. You'll look archaic if you do that in our day, right? Who brings a book to the? I do. I bring books to the doctor's office. And if you feel archaic, then bring a ebook on your phone, and then no one will think you're weird. They'll think you're scrolling Facebook like they are, right? So, they read. Used to offer lots of magazines, but now with COVID, they don't do that anymore. That's true. So That's true. That to read. Well, even the 21st century, they also offer. Uh, Uh, little tablets at some of the dentists and things like that. So, you know, they're kind of moving on up in the world, I guess. So, yeah, so we need to read. So at the doctor's office, if you're in the car writing with somebody, when we go back and forth to Tennessee, I get a long drive, and I try to, I I drive, Jessica's getting to the point where she makes me drive most of the time now, unfortunately. But when I'm not driving, I try to read, and I try to get a book in on that trip back and forth. That's like five or six books a year I can read back and forth to Tennessee. Uh, On the bus to work, if you take a bus to work. You know, there's just all of these downtimes that we have. I heard one guy, I don't really suggest this, but one guy, Albert Moeller, says he actually has books with him. And when he stops at red lights, he opens them and reads them. That's probably a little excessive. But in your downtime, redeem it and read. Another tip is read a few pages a day. Because maybe you're thinking, you know what, I don't have any time to read. I just don't. And I get that. I understand our lives are busy. I feel the same way. So how about this? Commit to doing this. If you're a person who just can't, doesn't read at all, hopefully you're at least reading your Bible. But if that's all you're reading and you can't find any time to read books, let me give you this tip, okay? Take a, find a good book you want to read, maybe it's 150 pages or so, and commit to reading three pages of that book every night right before you go to bed. Three pages, very simple, it'll take you, if you're a fast reader, it'll probably take you five minutes. If you're like me and you'd like to read very slow, it'll take you 15 or 20 minutes. Three pages, 15 or 20 minutes, go to bed. And if you do that every day, seven days a week, how many? How long is it going to take you to read a 150-page book? You read three pages a day. Who's good at math in here? Say that again. She's very good at math. I was going to count for a minute. So about 50 days. So in about two months, you'll read the book. If you read a book every two months, how many books can you read a year like that? 52. No, you'd have to read a book a week to do that. Come on, thank you. Nope, you'd have to read a book a month to do that. So, now cut it in half. Six, right? You'd read about, and this, kids, is why division is important, right? This is why division, because you might be teaching Sunday school and have to do division. So, so uh, if you read three pages a night before you go to bed, you can read four, six, seven books a year, right? That's You think you'll learn something if you read five books this year? <coughs> you'll learn a lot more than if you have been reading no books in the previous years, right? So, read a few pages. Another tip, e-books. I already mentioned this kind of. Take books on your phone, on your tablet, whatever, so when you're sitting in places you don't have to have a, a big systematic theology with you. You can have it on your, uh, your tablet. Uh, use a pencil is another tip I have. Use a pencil, underline, circle, highlight. I, I like using a mechanical pencil, not a pen. I used to use a pen, but it bleeds, and it gets on your hands and things like that. And then also you're in the car. My wife hits a pothole, and I'm trying to underline, and it goes everywhere. You can't erase with the pen, right? With a pencil, scribble it out, or erase it, and then draw another the line. I also like to write the dates in the beginning of my book, so I know when I start it, when I finish it. It's just a a motivation. It motivates me to read, so maybe that will be helpful. Another uh, tip in that kind of same line of thinking is take notes. Take notes. You can do that in the book. Maybe jot out some thoughts. Maybe have a phone with you. You type in your notes, or maybe you'll have a notebook, uh, whatever. Take notes as you read. Because the goal in reading, is it just to get books read? Is that the goal? We just want to be able to say, yeah, I read this many books this year? To learn, right? That's what this is all about, learning. And if you want to learn, you got to read and think, and I think it helps to write. Another tip I have is read widely. Read widely. Uh, don't just read the same author over and over again. Or you'll be like me quoting John MacArthur every Sunday, right? Read very broadly. Uh, read lots of authors. Read lots of topics. If you're like me, you have your hobby horses. I could read systematic theology all day long. I could read on evangelism all day long. But I also need to read church history and other things. So read widely. Uh, And then last one I have here is pick one author. This doesn't contradict my last point, by the way. My last point is read widely. This point is pick one author and read everything they've ever written. Pick one person that you're going to master. You can't read everything, but you can read broadly and also pick one author that you're going to read everything you've written. John Piper is the one that gave me that idea. He does that with Jonathan Edwards. I did that with John MacArthur, it's probably obvious, I love MacArthur, I read his commentaries, his books. I'm usually always reading something by MacArthur. So pick it, maybe for you it'll be a, a woman author that you like, or another male author, it might be an old guy, it might be a new guy. Pick something, uh, an author you really like, a very profound author, and read everything they have, and let their way of thinking kind of become you. That You can just begin to think uh, in a way that is very, very biblical, because you're mastering the thought of a, of a person who's very biblical. Alright, let me give you uh, now a, another tip that's kind of a point of its own here. Plan your reading. Plan your reading. Uh, you don't just want to, again, read just whatever you want because if you end up reading whatever you want, you're going to miss what you need. Okay? So let me give you some categories of thought when it comes to planning your reading. I break all of my reading into these four categories. Exegetical theology, historical theology, systematic theology, and practical theology. I think you can fit just about any Christian topic there. And you can add fiction as a fifth category if you like reading fiction. So, exegetical theology, commentaries, books on how to study the Bible. Exegesis is the act of interpreting a biblical text. So you're reading things that are helping you interpret the Bible and learn how to interpret the Bible. Okay. So for me, right now, in that category, I'm reading John MacArthur's commentary on the book of Galatians. I read a chapter of Galatians every day. In a year I will have read Galatians 50 times and i read MacArthur's commentary. You think in a year I'll know Galatians? Let's hope so. I'm going to preach on it in about a year. So, exegetical theology. Number two, historical theology. By that I mean church history and biography. Church history and biography. It's important to read church history because do you know what happens with false teaching? Does it ever go away? What happens with false teaching? False uh, teaching away. It corrupts people. That's a very true. Good point. But what else? Added to. Say that again. gets added. On to. Gets added. Some, we add false teaching, but a lot of times what happens is it's just the same old foolishness repackaged under a new guise. Right? Today there are as Pentecostals. Jesus' name only they call themselves. No Trinity. God's one person. These guys aren't any new. They've just got a new name. That's modalism from the early church. That's all it is. It's the same heresy over and over again. And one way to learn error is to read church history so you can see the development of Christian doctrine and learn from godly men and women. Which brings me to biographies. That's the second subcategory in historical theology. Read good biographies of good, godly, faithful saints, and they're going to motivate you to live a godly life. Read Whitfield's biography, Spurgeon's, Amy Carmichael, and there's so many options. Read biographies. And then finally, systematic theology. Systematic theology. By that I mean... uh, a few things. Number one, real systematic theologies. Louis burkhoff has got a good one. These are usually big books with about a thousand pages. Okay, so this is a you lost me right. This is a tall order, right? But it's so helpful. To, it's going to help you learn the intricacies of Christian doctrine. Okay, it's very helpful. So another good one is John Gill's Body of Doctrinal Divinity. I'm reading that now. Very good. John MacArthur's Biblical Doctrine. If you want a more simple one to read, Wayne Grudem. I don't think he's the best, but he has one pretty simple, um, and John Calvin. I mean, there's, there's lots of options. But another subcategory there is going to be uh, books on doctrine. And So you might not just read a whole systematic theology that deals with every doctrine, but maybe you're going to read a book on the Trinity, or a book on the Holy Spirit, or a book on inspiration of Scripture. So now you're just going to focus on one doctrine in a smaller book, okay? So does 150 pages sound better, in? Can, can um, you do that? Yeah, I think you still might have lost a... Oh, so if it's more than five pages and doesn't have pictures, in it ends lost. Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then another category there would be confessions. Confessions. We have the 1689. We're going to start going through it for Sunday school. Very, very good confession, and that's only like 35 pages. That yeah. I might be a still lost. So that's a more simple way to learn a very robust system of theology. There's others. There's the Westminster Confession. That's the Presbyterian version. We Baptists stole their, c- cata- their confession and made it better, I think. But uh, that's a good one. Uh, and then you have catechisms. The Westminster Shorter Catechism is fantastic. The one for kids is even better because you can actually understand it. And it's usually like three-word answers. I use it with my kids, and I learn a lot myself. And then creeds. You have you know, the Apostles' Creed. You have the Nicene Creed. Several, several options. Uh, so that's systematic theology, and then finally, and the final category is practical theology. Practical theology. By this, I mean books on ministry, books on the family, books on spiritual disciplines—very practical stuff. You know, in this category, I'm reading things like apologetic books, evangelism books. Book uh, John MacArthur's got a good book on the family. I've read that one. He's got a there's uh, books on Don Whitney's book on spiritual disciplines. I read that book in that category. Very. Practical stuff is what you're looking for. So what I do is I always try to have one book in each of these categories going. You think, man, he probably reads a lot. No, I read an hour a day. I read basically 15 to 20 pages out of each book a week. It's not a lot. I only read in that, out of those categories about eight books a year maybe. And then I read three pages of a book before I go to bed, and that gets me at about 15 books a year. And that's better than nothing, right? So if you just categorize your reading, and at the very least pick a book, read three pages a night, you're going to read more than you probably did a year ago, and you're going to continue to learn as a Christian. And if you want a reading list, a suggested reading list, you can go to our church's website. I've got a, uh, not an exhaustive list, but a very uh, small list compiled for you there if you'd like to look at that. All right, I've got no more time left, so I'm basically going to tell you the next few points, and then we'll, leave. we'll be done. Because I don't think we want another lesson on the spiritual discipline. Number two, listen to audio books. There you go. And some people just don't like to read. But maybe you like to listen. That's fine. God's in God's providence. We live in a very unique time where we can actually listen to books. We couldn't do that 300 years ago. Well, then listen. You can do that in the car on the way to work. You can do that washing the dishes. You can listen, redeem the time, and fill your mind with truth. Number three, listen to sermons and lectures. Uh, this is more than books. This is listening to preachers online sermon audio, YouTube. Listen to good sermons. Number four. Read blogs and articles. Read blogs and articles. Again, if you don't like 50 pages, you don't like 30 pages, then you can read a thousand-word blog. That takes about five minutes, right? And really what happens in the blog is, you, is, is these authors, a lot of times, they just take the meat out of their book and they put it in the blog. So you just basically get the meat without having to get all the uh, unnecessary stuff. So blogs are helpful. And then fifthly, write. Write. In addition to reading all this stuff and listening, write. Or you could call this journaling. Write your prayers. Write your thoughts about Scripture. Write about your walk with God. Uh, You can write out biblical goals. Whitfield had a criteria in his diary by which he measured himself every day. You can see why these guys were holy men. I'll read a few of them quickly. Whitfield's diary says, Have I been fervent in prayer, used stated hours of prayer, used ejaculatory prayer each hour, after or before every deliberate conversation or action considered how it might tend to God's glory, after any pleasure immediately given things, have I planned business for the day, been simple and re- recollected in everything, been zealous in undertaking and active in doing what good I could, been meek, cheerful, affable in everything I said or did, been proud, vain, you get the idea, right? All the way to the end where he says, number 15, have I confessed all my sins. You're reading that every day. <laughs> you're going to be motivated to pursue holiness or you're going to feel like crap all day. You don't want that. So, uh, And then number six, think. Think. Sometimes you got to, you've taken all of this in, now you've got to assimilate it and think about it, okay? So don't just read, but stop and think, okay? Meditate. You can do that in the shower. You can do that on the way to work. Uh, you can think when you can't read, right? Working at a warehouse, slinging the boxes, Don't get too deep in thought if you're like me and you end up messing up the boxes and messing up the job. But think. Spend time thinking about the truth of God. All right. That's all I've got for you, brothers and sisters. These are the six disciplines that we've laid out. Could have went with many more. But these disciplines, if you apply yourself to them, Bible intake, prayer, worship, evangelism, discipleship, and learning, God will use those to make you more like Christ for your good and for His glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven we thank you for this time of studying the spiritual disciplines over the last I don't know uh, 10 months or so we did have a few months pause there because of the pandemic but uh, we're thankful that we've been able to study these important truths and learn so much about them and I pray that uh, all of this has been helpful for your people been helpful for me and that each of us would actually put these things into practice and grow as Christians we look forward to studying the confession next week and beginning our journey through that for a year or so and uh, pray that you would make us more theologically sound Christians for your glory to which end we pray Amen. Amen